Hello again. Welcome to Tell Me. Today's episode of Tell Me, super important one. I want everybody to listen to this. Tell everybody you know to listen to this because it affects everyone. We're talking to a guy named Nick McKinley who started an organization called Deliver Fund. Nick is ex-CIA who works to target human traffickers. He spent 11 years as a U.S. special ops, Air Force, pararescue men, CIA, and understands all of these illegal, illicit markets at the highest levels. The human trafficking problem in this country is out of control. The sexual exploitation, abuse of young people in general is staggering. This is a conversation that everyone should hear. He's a really smart guy and developed this organization and technology to really go after the people perpetrating these crimes, the traffickers themselves. He had a lot of eye-opening stuff to say today, and I was dying to have him on the podcast, and I'm really grateful that we got to have this conversation so I can expose all of you to this information. It's frightening, but like I said, so necessary. Nick really breaks it down and talks about what it is, what they look like, what they can do, how they operate. So a lot of thanks to Nick McKinley. You can follow Deliver Fund on Instagram as well. It's deliverfund.org. We all need to get as educated as we can about human trafficking. Really useful conversation. I'm proud of this one. I hope you all give this a listen. Nick, how you doing? Hey, Ellen. Doing well. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, pleasure to do it. And thank you for talking about this issue. It's really important. Of course, of course. Nick McKinley is my guest today. So thank you for doing this. I have to say, starting off this conversation, I'm really shocked at what we focus on in this country, what the politicians choose to focus on, and what we know is really going on in this country. Really bad shit is going on. Really bad shit that harm children. And we don't seem to do anything about it. We seem to focus on all of the wrong things. The politicians seem to focus on all of the wrong things. And the politicians have everybody whipped up into a frenzy. And they've convinced a large portion of this country to focus on the bullshit. Things that there's nothing really wrong. And so I really want to talk about things that are really wrong in this country. Things we really have to watch out for because our politicians and lawmakers are not really watching out for us or our children in the ways that they should be. And I think what strikes me most about when I hear child trafficking, sex trafficking, trafficking in general, I feel like obviously it's the act of what's getting done. But I really just want to peel back the layers of the onion and talk about exactly what it is, because I feel like we hear the word a lot. We've done a show on Grays about trafficking, where a young woman came into the hospital and it was over several episodes. Mm -hmm. But we still didn't do a deep dive in you do this for a living. And thank you so much for this work, because it is so important for my listeners who are predominantly young women or young mothers. I really want to get into the beat by beat of how this happens, how they operate. We know they find children on the internet. Mm -hmm. We know social media is a hunting ground. But I really want to talk about all aspects of this so that everybody can really have a clear understanding. So trafficking, where do you want to start, Nick? Because you're the expert on this. Well, thank you. And thank you for talking about this issue, because this is exactly what we as a citizenry need to do. So many times we look to the government to solve our problems and everybody should have figured out by now the government ain't the solution to our problems. We are. We are the people, right? We the people are the government. And so what you just said is so important and resonates so well with me. 
And when I talk about human trafficking to political groups, I often say, you know, hold your politicians accountable. Because when you go talk to a politician, you say, oh, tell me about human trafficking and what your plan is. And they always say, oh, it's the most important thing to me and the protection of children is so important. And then my next question, which usually gets me some uh, sideways looks from the politicians is, great, please show me where the budget line item is that funds the counter human trafficking issues department within your law enforcement department. Show me where the budget line item is that funds the national intelligence priority for human trafficking. I'll tell you, there isn't one. And so kind of to start, one of the things I think it's important for listeners to understand is what human trafficking is not. So we're here to talk about human trafficking, but what are we not going to talk about? So the first thing is human trafficking and the border. Everybody says, and for political reasons, people like to tie human trafficking to border issues. They're two completely different things. Border issues are focused primarily on human smuggling. We need to do something about that because those people come to the United States and then are a vulnerable population and all vulnerable populations are at risk of trafficking, but one is not the other. We're not talking about Chinese kids coming over on shipping containers. We're not talking about some wealthy white girl getting abducted a la the Taken movies. Those are the things we are not talking about. What we're talking about is an American problem. So dollar for dollar, the human trafficking market in the United States of America is the largest in the world. After that, it's the other predominantly Western European countries. We always think of human trafficking as an over there problem. It is very much an over here problem. And that's the epiphany that I had when I was working at the CIA. And I realized that we can do amazing things as a government. We can pretty much do whatever we decide we want to do. We have a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, yet alcohol, tobacco, and firearms are all legal, yet we spend billions of dollars a year fighting what is the illicit sale of legal commodities. We have a drug enforcement agency to fight the war on drugs. How's that going? 90% of drugs are legal, and yet we have an entire bureaucracy where we spend tens of billions of dollars fighting what is the illicit sale of legal commodities. And, and all of that work is important, but it's not near as important as the 13th Amendment, which makes all slavery of all kinds. When we talk about human trafficking, we're talking about slavery, right? That's the nice word that we put on it, but we're talking about slavery. And when we talk about commercial sex trafficking, what we're predominantly talking about is the industrialized rape of children. That's what we're talking about. And so why is it that we as a country spend billions, tens of billions of dollars on fighting the illicit sale of legal commodities, and yet 100% of human slavery is illegal? And who's got the ball on that issue? And I'll tell you who has the ball on that issue. It's predominantly state and local law enforcement officers. And so that kind of sets the context for what we're not talking about. You mentioned social media, you mentioned the internet. By the DOJ's own data, over 80% of the cases that they prosecute, human trafficking associated cases. And it's also important when we talk about human trafficking, we're not talking about child exploitation. I heard a podcast that you did with the CEO of Thorn, great organization doing great work. But when we talk about what is in the law called child pornography, sometimes that is associated with human trafficking, but not always. We talk about human trafficking, what we're really talking about is a person a living being who is being either defrauded, forced, or coerced, usually all three, into providing some type of labor or service for the economic benefit of somebody else. 
So somebody's doing the work, one person's doing the work, and the other person gets the economic benefit. That's really what we're talking about. Now, who is the person doing the work? Predominantly children, because the predominant human trafficking market in the United States is commercial sex in nature. And the commodity, for lack of a better term, right, because we're talking about a market, the commodity being sold that fetches the highest price are children. So this is what the stats on this look like. According to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, phenomenal organization, we have a very close relationship with them. They found that in a five-year period, they had an 846% increase in suspected child trafficking cases. So think about that. Why did we have an 846% increase in what is essentially a market? It's because of the smartphone. Smartphones make it so that somebody can order a child to a hotel room in the same way they can order a pizza and for about the same price. So our children, our kids, are susceptible and vulnerable to trafficking. The reason why we like to think that they're safe in our home, under our roof, we teach them stranger danger, we have alarms, we have locks, we have guards, we have gates, we have all types of things to physically protect the barriers of our home to keep our children safe, fire extinguishers, all of that. Yet smartphone technologies make it so that human traffickers 3,000 miles away can communicate with your daughter while they're under your roof in their bedroom. That's the ultimate problem. So the reason that our children are susceptible to human trafficking and the reason that children are trafficked is because traffickers exist. The way that they access our children is predominantly through the internet and through social and internet communication technologies. So let's walk me through a scenario. So part of your work is, correct me if I'm wrong, rescuing children. Do you still do that work or no? So no, we don't rescue children. We've never done that work. What we do is we provide intelligence to law enforcement and commercial companies so that law enforcement can go rescue children, right? Because if I were to go do that, I mean, I had 30 combat deployments under my belt. I know as much about kicking doors as anybody alive. But if I were to go do that as a private citizen, I'd be committing a felony. Law enforcement's job is to go do that. But we tell them essentially where to go. We help point them in the right direction and tell them, you know, what house the children are in. So that's how come we understand the human trafficking market is because our analysts day in and day out are actually helping law enforcement hunt down these human traffickers. So law enforcement can go arrest the human trafficker, rescue the victims, and make sure the victims get the services and access to the services they need, and the human traffickers get the punishments they deserve. Right. So someone reaches out to your child on social media. How much do you think is young teenage girls going to meet someone Mm -hmm. that they've been talking to online, that they've been groomed, that they think is another 17-year-old girl, possibly the 17-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. They don't really realize it's a grown man Mm -hmm. or a grown woman. How much of sex trafficking victims get physically kidnapped? And how much of it is children going to secretly meet someone they met online? So it ultimately all ends up in somebody getting physically controlled, right? Physically kidnapped, physically controlled against their will. The question is, how did they get to that point? So let me give you a good story. There was a girl, we'll call her Mercedes, in the southwestern United States. She was from a socioeconomic demographic that left her pretty vulnerable, no father in the household. Her mom worked multiple jobs and was pretty detached. So she was working at a fast food restaurant during the summer 
a woman comes into the fast food restaurant and starts telling her how beautiful she is and starts giving her gifts, introduces her to a boy about her age, just a couple years older. And that boy starts feigning interest in her and starts essentially becoming her boyfriend. So fast forward about four to five months and the boyfriend is supposed to pick her up after work and says, I can't pick you up, but I'm sending his friend, this other woman. And so the girl leaves her fast food job and gets in the car and doesn't realize that she just crossed the threshold into her own abduction. So the woman that she's in the car with, who she trusts, says, I need to stop by a friend's house. Why don't you come in with me? The friend whose house she stopped by was her husband, who was a trafficker. This was a husband and wife team that were traffickers. And the young boy was a recruiter for their trafficking ring. First of all, let me just give a parental warning. I'll be very clear about what human trafficking is, but if there are kids listening to this, this is probably not the best podcast to have them listen to. Great. Thank you, Nick, for that. The traffickers brought her into the house. As soon as they did, the trafficker's brother was behind the door, threw her to the ground, brutally beat her, raped her, and did this over a period of days in what they call seasoning. They locked her in a dog crate and then basically broke her will so that she would just do whatever they wanted her to do. At the same time, they would start giving her narcotics for the pain. So now she is very rapidly getting a narcotic addiction that she didn't choose. None of this is something that she is choosing. She ended up with a narcotic addiction and essentially to the untrained eye, she appeared to be a prostitute. She appeared to be a sex worker who was prostituting herself by choice. That is obviously not what was happening at all. She finally got up the courage after this trafficker, one of the girls in what they call their stable, that's what the trafficker calls their group of girls. One of the girls got unruly and the trafficker murdered the girl in a park as a example to the rest of the girls. And so this girl thought, I'm going to make a run for it because either way, I'm either going to continue to live like this or I'm going to be dead. She ran to the police. Police brought her in, believed her story, got in contact with us. We helped them build out the case. That trafficker is now serving three life sentences. But the key here is what happened in the beginning. This is not, you know, the sketchy white van with free candy spray painted on the side, pulls up and grabs a kid and throws them in the van. Does that happen? Absolutely. But it's very rare. Human trafficking predominantly happens with somebody that the child knows and trusts. Now, they may not have known them for very long, right? Because children tend to be pretty trusting just by nature. So they may not have known that person very long, but that's kind of how the system works. And that was a young girl. Now let's go to a young teenage boy. There's a boy, we'll call him Noah. Dad was a VP of cybersecurity at a very large company, very large recognizable company. This guy knows what he's doing when it comes to tech. And Noah was on a gaming console. My legal counsel says I can't say the name of which one, but it's a box. So he is on the gaming console playing games like most you know, teenage boys do and chatting with another teenage boy, so he thought, within the gaming console. This happens over a period of months the trafficker in this case is on the other side of this gaming console, off-platforms him, so moves him from the gaming console to another social media platform and then to a basically a secure SMS platform. 
and grooms him over a period of about eight months. And then one day says, hey, I'm actually right up the street with my dad. Why don't you come up and say hi? Parents found the boy's cell phone in the neighbor's front lawn and the law enforcement officer in the case got in touch with us. One of our analysts were able to find who the trafficker was within a period of hours. But by the time we identified who the trafficker was, the boy was already three states away. Now, luckily, law enforcement in that state, he'd been moved from Arizona to, I believe it was Oklahoma. Law enforcement in Oklahoma took immediate action, sent a SWAT team, kicked the door, rescued the boy. Trafficker is currently serving a sentence. So you can notice that in every single one of these cases, it's somebody that the child believes that they can trust because it's somebody they've established a relationship with through some type of either common interest, be it video games or a love interest or something like that. So that's what human trafficking in America looks like. Right. And you mentioned in both instances that the communication lasted for three or four months. And, you know, to a child, three or four months feels like forever. Oh, yeah. So the traffickers in this network seems like they're really willing to put in the work and be patient and do the grooming as thoroughly as they feel like they need to do it. You know, it's not one or two weeks earning that trust before they actually make a move to go to the next step. You're absolutely right. And we need to understand that, and forgive me that I'm a complete economics nerd. I look at this through an economics lens, through a market lens, because that's what actually helps the victims. And that's what helps us destroy this human trafficking market. To the trafficker, the trafficker isn't just talking to that one child, right? This is essentially a sales funnel for them. So the trafficker knows, just to make the math easy here, they know that they have to talk to 10 children to get five to agree to communicate with them, to get two to agree to meet with them, to get one to actually show up. Now, the reason that we've seen such an explosion in this problem really since about 2005 is when it really started to get big. The reason we've seen such a problem is because the barrier to entry to be a human trafficker is very low. All you need is a device that can access the internet and time. And you don't even have to pay for an internet connection. There's not a lot of investment that comes in, right? So if you're a narcotics dealer, there's a lot of investment that comes in. You've got to control territory. There's high competition within your market. Within the human trafficking space, that's not the case. Unfortunately, you know, the mental illness epidemic really that we have globally, which COVID did not help, has made it so that the sick people have become sicker because there's no other explanation for why somebody would choose to hurt children in this way or any person for that matter, right? When we talk about children, we're predominantly talking about girls under the age of 18. So if a girl's 18 in a month, that's still just equally as horrible as if, you know, she was trafficked when she was 16. We're talking college girls, members of the LGBTQ community, right? Any vulnerable population is going to be susceptible to trafficking because the traffickers have access to all of them all at once. And social media algorithms, right? The same thing that when I buy something on Amazon and Amazon says, you know, well, you might also like this. Amazon's usually right. They've gotten a lot of money from me by clicking on that saying, yes, I do like that. Well, those same algorithms are telling the traffickers, well, if you follow this young girl, you would probably also like this. And those algorithms deliver up a bunch of other young girls or young boys, whatever it is that they're looking for online. 
So, you know, what we think is a lot of work for the trafficker is not really a lot of work. That trafficker only has to befriend one young girl and get that one young girl to say, yes, I'll be your friend on pick a social media platform. And then the algorithms go to work for the trafficker at that point and say, well, you might also know these people if you know her. And the trafficker says, I do know those people. And then on and on and on. And this is really a crux of the issue and something that we have to figure out how to help the social media companies deal with. The demonization of social media in this, I don't agree with. And at the same time, right, two things can be true at once. We also need to hold the social media companies accountable for getting to the bottom of this issue. So why is it that a non-familial 40-year-old man who's 3,000 miles away from a 12-year-old girl who just made a TikTok video saying that she's mad at her dad, which is probably all 12-year-old girls at some point, why is it that the social media platform will allow that 40-year-old man to communicate with her? That shouldn't be able to happen. That's actually the crux of the problem, and that's really what we're working to solve is to make it so that that can't happen. Right. That's, I guess, where your expertise is so specific and so important because you're never going to stop these kids from having phones or stop these kids from wanting to be on TikTok or wanting to be on social media. So the real work has to happen to help the social platforms deal with it. And they have to want to take responsibility and acknowledge how big of a problem it is and really commit in helping. You know, they have companies like yours doing all of this great work. All they have to do is let you do what you do. Right. You know, I think it was very interesting that Sheryl Sandberg stepped down because Facebook has come under so much scrutiny for this very issue. And it, all they have to do is step up and make a commitment, a serious commitment, because it is the only way to combat some of this stuff. Have you seen on TikTok the videos about people putting tiles? In oh, women's yeah. cars. Uh, tiles and Apple AirTag. Yes, the Apple AirTag. So is that for abduction? Because I know some women who said they've been, you know, at airports or you see TikTok videos all the time. Women at airports, this guy's following me. I found this AirTag in my car. Sure. So is that for abduction purposes? Usually not. Now, I don't want to be so bold as to say it never is, but we just have seen very, very little of that. Usually that's just a criminal element. So if you have a very nice car, the auto thief is going to tag your car in the parking lot, and then that way they can find it later. And once they find it, then they want to go ahead and steal your car that night at two o'clock in the morning, you know, while you're asleep. When we look at human trafficking, we need to look at what is the commodity? Who are traffickers after? Who they're after is your children. And they're not after your children by following them around in Whole Foods and then trying to grab them in the parking lot. They don't need to do that. They can just communicate with them, like you said, on TikTok, on any of the social platforms. We tend to look at Facebook and Instagram, but Facebook really, like I have a young niece who just turned 17 and Facebook is for communicating with her grandparents. That's what she said. And then Instagram is for communicating with her parents and TikTok and, you know, a lot of these other ones that are popping up. Those are how she communicates with her friends. So social media moves just like all media has moved and it progresses. And so when we look at that, yes, social media companies definitely need to help out with this, as do banks and hotels and transportation companies, all of that. But ultimately, we need to look at why are the children at risk? Well, the reason they're at risk is because the human trafficker exists. You can't have a human trafficking victim 
if you don't have a human trafficker. Also, the other reason that human trafficking exists is because there's a market for it, right? right? Traffickers aren't doing this for ideological purposes. This isn't terrorism as an example, right? Which is in large part ideologically driven. This is a money play for traffickers. So we need to make sure that we're focusing the proper amount of resources on finding human traffickers, denying that trafficker access to TikTok. You know, I feel like as a society, we always tend to say, okay, well, ooh, well, we know that there's bad people on TikTok, so let's keep our children off of it. Or let's help TikTok keep the bad actors off of it, right? Let's put the responsibility where it belongs. Right, absolutely. Because the net is wide, I feel. And correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but the ways in which traffickers monetize children, it's a wide net. You know, like we say, Facebook, what we talked about on that podcast, the imagery, right? Live mm -hmm. streaming, sex crimes, mm -hmm. imagery. There's all different ways in which they make money from the exploitation of children. And these sex traffickers have multiple channels of exploitation. It's important to understand that the traffickers, they're in this for money. This is their business and they run their business just like anybody else runs their business. So often when we talk about, especially when we talk about child sex trafficking, people think we're talking about the dark web or the deep web and we're not. Is there human trafficking that happens on the dark web and deep web, organ trafficking, surrogacy trafficking and things like that? Absolutely. But it is so minuscule compared to the trafficking that happens on the front facing internet that you could find by five minutes of Google searching, probably going to take you less. That's really where the problem is. So the traffickers essentially have access to an infinite market. They also have infinite supply, right? Vulnerable and naive, primarily young girls. And I tend to talk about this primarily in the terms of girls and women, because this is predominantly a girls and women's issue. Now, that does not mean that there are not men who are trafficked. There are not transgender people who are trafficked. That does happen. Boys who are trafficked. But that is a very, very small percentage. We don't have good statistics on this, but we see that over 90% of trafficking victims are women and girls. And when I say women, I'm talking over age 18. And I say girls, I'm talking under the age of 18, just for purposes of communication here. So when we look at it through that lens, we have an infinite supply, right? Which is over 90% men who are purchasing, renting essentially these girls for an hour. That's something that we definitely can start to get to the bottom of. We have an infinite supply, which is vulnerable young people. So what's the scalable solution to making sure that these sicko men can never get access to the child? Who brokers that relationship in between? It's the human traffickers. Now they use social media, they use all these different ways of doing it, but we need to keep in mind that it's the trafficker who is responsible for the trafficking happening. And so that's really where we try to focus because that's a solution that in our lifetime, we can actually make it so that that is no longer the case, right? Traffickers are just very rare as opposed to rather ubiquitous. Right. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Why wouldn't every social platform want to make that the number one priority? And every law enforcement department. So if you go to your law enforcement department and you talk to your chief of police and you say, what's the budget for your counter drug task force, usually called a HIDA, right? A high intensity drug trafficking area. So what's your budget for that? And it'll be very significant. They'll have all the manpower they need for the most part. And most of that will be a federal budget that goes to that chief of police to fund that unit. 
How about their property crimes issue, their auto theft, all of that? And this is really where we need to really take a look at society when, you know, we had this whole defund the police movement. All right, well, if you defund the police, who's going to rescue your child should they make a bad decision and end up in front of human traffickers? We need to increase the risk in the market. And this is to your point earlier to come kind of full circle about what you said about politicians. Why do we have a ATF and a drug enforcement agency and yet we do not have a counter human trafficking agency? Why is it that when I was at the CIA, we came across what I like to call smoking gun intel on a human trafficker who was trafficking children across the AFPAC border. And yet there was really no place to put that intel. There's nobody who had the ball on that issue. And I'm not saying that we should abolish the DEA or the ATF or anything like that, but I'm saying that aren't our children significantly more important than whether or not drugs are sold on street corners? So that's really where we have to start holding our government and our politicians accountable for properly funding law enforcement's efforts to combat human trafficking so that organizations like Deliver Fund don't have to exist. But until that happens, we're here to pick up the pieces and help out. Right. And I'll circle back to what you said in the beginning of the conversation, reiterate again, that our politicians really do have to make a decision what they want to focus on. What are the true evils that we need to combat and what are not? You wouldn't categorize it probably as sex trafficking, but a lot of sex crimes are happening under the guise of religion. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of documentaries on Netflix Mm -hmm. that talk about this. And it's still the exploitation, the sexual exploitation of young women Mm -hmm. born into very religious communities. And it's all normalized. The passing of young girls, the marrying off of young women is normalized in these religious cultures that are also completely overlooked, completely acceptable because it's a religion which is maddening to me. And you have to be such an analytical guy because if you were an emotional guy, there's no way you could do this work, right? It's (laughs) it's like surgeons. I've met so many surgeons and there's something sort of so clinical about some surgeons, especially like pediatric neurosurgeons and things like that. They have to be able to detach a bit emotionally because the work... It could be too emotionally devastating if you weren't able to really compartmentalize and just stick to the task at hand. And that's, I think, why you're so good at what you do and and how you're able to do what you do, probably. One of the big reasons that we're good at what we do, I mean, at Deliver Fund, I'm humbled enough that I get to be the point man, right? I'm the founder of the organization, but I have a team of analysts, former CIA, NSA, FBI and just really, really bright people who just decided that this is what they wanted to do, who do this day in and day out. In fact, we have a 10-day period we're in the middle of right now. We're doing 10 operations with 10 different law enforcement operations all the way from the coast of California to the coast of Florida and various places in between. So this is what these people do day in and day out. And really the credit goes to them, right? I now am doing these communications to the public, but really they're the ones, while I'm doing this, they're actually hunting down human traffickers and putting together and programming the data sets. I mean, great example, over a seven year period, we built the largest, cleanest human trafficking data set on the planet. We collect 240,000 times more data than the Department of Justice does. And that's not as much of a feather in our cap as it is an indictment of the system. And I want to go back to a point that you brought up, which is the acceptability of what I call the commoditization of women and girls. 
And this was kind of an epiphany that I had a couple years into this fight, which is when I would tell a story about a girl being trafficked, there was lots of sadness, acceptance and sadness. When I would tell a story about a boy being trafficked, people would get very angry. And that made me think, why is that? And maybe it's just because I was raised with three sisters, I never really thought of there being a difference. But what I've concluded is that within society, there is an acceptance of the commoditization of women so that it's almost expected. I've lived in 14 countries, and unfortunately, I never got to live in the really nice places. I only lived in the really bad places. But I saw that happen routinely where you had societies of laws, the United States of America, and societies of men, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, places like that. So in a society of laws here, we have equal protection and we do as a society our best to aspire to that. Now, granted, yes, we have definitely room for improvement, but we at least aspire to equal protection of the law. The rest of the world doesn't have it that way. So when we kind of bring this full circle back to the United States, where would the outcry be if the statistics were reversed? And it was actually predominantly teenage boys who were being trafficked instead of teenage girls. One, there wouldn't be as big of a market, so we wouldn't have as big of a problem, which is a whole other conversation. But the human traffickers are trying to fill essentially the void in the market. And the market is for predominantly teenage girls. This is the crux of the issue that our country has to worry about. And so why do our politicians, why have they chosen, because it's a choice, right? Politicians get to choose what they want to focus on. Why have politicians chosen to talk about how horrible human trafficking is, yet not actually done anything about it? And to your point about the fringe religious communities that, you know, have child brides, essentially, I actually do classify that as human trafficking because it's for the economic benefit of somebody else. And let me give you an example of that. We got the second 737 out of Afghanistan full of women and girls. We helped to rescue the Afghan national girls soccer team. So it's the junior players. The country of Portugal gave them political asylum. So thank you country of Portugal. They did amazing. The Pakistani prime minister stepped in. The reason that we were asked to rescue and it was actually the White House that asked us to help was because those young girls were going to be given to Taliban fighters and Haqqani fighters, essentially as part of their compensation package. Join the Taliban, we give you a paycheck, and we give you a young girl. Again, it's that commoditization, and that's an extreme example, but you can look at how that example only illuminates really the way that we view this issue in the rest of the world. So that's an issue that we as a society, and it's an issue that men specifically have to come to terms with. I mean, after an entire career of essentially training and executing on operations, which predominantly went to either capturing or killing men, figured it was time to take these skills and put them to work to protect women because it was men who were driving the market for these young girls. And that's why as a man, even though this is predominantly a women's issue, that's why I've stepped into this arena is to directly go counter this problem of the commoditization of women and girls. The commoditization of women. As women out there and as young girls, we have to understand 
that we are a commodity. And you have to be so, so careful about who you're willing to talk to, who you're willing to look at, who you're willing to communicate with, who are you willing to give any energy to at all. Hold yourself as precious as diamonds and gold, because that's what you are out in the world. We have to protect ourselves because the misogyny and danger out there is so real. I mean, Nick just laid it out as clear as you can lay it out. At the end of the day, yes, it stops with the traffickers, and yes, there is evil. And we have to do everything we can. Now, everybody can't protect themselves 100%. And if you're vulnerable, know you're vulnerable. Thank God there are guys like Nick out there trying to fight this good fight. But, you know, we have to protect ourselves, too, and be smart. You know, it's a problem that we really sort of have to attack from all around. There's definitely the bad guys. But we got to try to do what we can on our end to build each other up as women, to give each other the attention that we each deserve and be kind to one another and make each other feel safe so that our young girls don't have to look for their worth in the eyes of men. You know, it's interesting when we look at the demographics of traffickers. I mean, there was an airline pilot from a very large airline. People can Google this in a city in southern Texas who was a trafficker. You know, everybody has a stereotype of the trafficker that's popping into their head. And they don't realize that, no, trafficker can be any number of things. There was a lawyer in the desert southwest who was trafficking women. You know, when we look at the missing and murdered indigenous women issue that's predominantly happening on the Native American reservations, you know, a lot of those women are trafficked. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. And when we first got into this work and we started looking at where the data comes from, is if we really get to brass tacks, we now understand the problem. But what can parents do, right? What are the action-oriented steps that parents and that society at large can do to help combat this problem? One of the biggest ones is mothers, raise your sons to respect women. Fathers, raise your sons to respect women. That's the easiest thing that everybody can do. Uh Beyond that, we can look at what feeds this. And really, it's that commoditization of women issue. If we only look at women as commodities for their bodies and as sexual objects as a society, then we are setting our mothers and daughters up for failure. So we as a society have to address that issue. And that means that we are going to have to compromise on some social issues that we maybe wouldn't otherwise want to compromise on. So those things are very important. But also from a digital perspective, again, by the DOJ's own data, over 80% of their human trafficking cases that they prosecute and of ours, of our cases, 100% of the cases we're involved in have a digital footprint. So we actually have a website that people can go to. It's digitalsafety.deliverfund.org where parents can sign up for videos for essentially training on how to keep their children safe. And I've met so many parents who just say, well, I'm just not good with technology. Well, my parents weren't good with drugs and they still kept me away from them, right? My parents weren't good with alcohol and they still kept me from making really stupid decisions when I was a young teenager. So we as parents, it's our responsibility to do the best we can to utilize platforms like Bark. There's a company out there called Bark that essentially creates a safety firewall for your children on your home internet. And they also have different applications for phones and things. Those types of resources are excellent resources. Work with a company called GameSafe. So if your kids are playing Roblox, as an example, well, there's traffickers and pedophiles playing Roblox too. GameSafe is an app that will actually help to 
monitor those communications to keep your children safe. The social media companies, again, we need to be careful about demonizing the social media companies because they are trying, but we need to keep in mind that our politicians, again, to bring it back to these politicians, Mm -hmm. our politicians have not mandated that they do anything. So if you look at banking industry, we had a massive problem with money laundering of drug money and cartel money and human trafficking money and things until the government came along and said, okay, banks, here's what you're going to do in order to get to the bottom of this issue. Now, money laundering isn't as big of a deal as it once was. We need the same equivalent for social media companies. And I am not a big government person. Like, I don't think the government is a solution to all problems. But we do need the government to step in where it needs to and where it's supposed to. And maybe they spend their time on bringing the tech companies to the table and actually creating the regulations to say, okay, here are the child safety regulations that all tech companies must meet. And for all the new startups who want to start new companies, here's the basket of money that you can tap into in order to be able to add those technologies to your new app or game or whatever it is that you're doing. But we do need the government to step in and have a requirement that applies to all the tech companies across the board. Otherwise, we end up with situations like we have with MindGeek is a great example. They ran a website called Pornhub. We repeatedly were saying that they were engaging in human trafficking as well as the production distribution of child pornography. Well, they actually were just criminally indicted late last year by the Department of Justice. And Visa, like Visa on your credit card Visa, was actually indicted as a co-conspirator for knowingly taking money from a company that was trafficking people. So if the government steps in and says, hey, we're going to hold you accountable, private industry, and you could imagine if all of the sudden human traffickers couldn't get a social media account, they couldn't get a bank account, they couldn't get an Uber, they couldn't rent a hotel room, they couldn't get a plane ticket. I mean, I don't know how we do it, but we figure out how so they can't buy groceries. All of a sudden, they don't care about trafficking anymore because one, they can't make any money doing it. And if they do manage to make some money doing it, it's just going to get seized or they can't spend it. And if they do try to do that, then they're going to go to jail. We just need to make it so that it is impossible for traffickers to operate in polite society and access our children. Yeah, for sure. And it's private industry, like you said. I mean, yes. How do the money transactions go down? Visa? How else? So if you can transfer money, traffickers are using it. Everything from crypto payments, which we love it when they use crypto payments because contrary to popular belief, crypto payments are not anonymous. That's the whole point of crypto payments is you can trace every single transaction that's ever happened since the beginning of time. Amazing. But they use crypto payments. They use Apple Pay, Venmo. Some of them even have their own kind of Stripe credit card swipers. They launder money through really anything that can transfer value, gift cards, all of those things. So if we applied the same standard that we apply to banks to all of those pieces when it comes to human trafficking, we just denied an entire payment system to the human traffickers, which then makes it that much harder. So these are all big ethereal things that we're working on that require a lot of government involvement. But again, we the people are the government. So we need to take one responsibility for holding our politicians accountable. And if they don't actually do things, not talk about things, but actually do something around the human trafficking issue, then vote them out of office and put in somebody who will. 
that's, I think, the most important political issue currently that we can actually vote on and hold our politicians accountable to. And more importantly, it's one that's right down the center of the aisle. I mean, this is a with us or against us issue, right? This isn't a left or right issue. This is a human issue. This is a social justice issue that we need to focus on. But then as parents, we need to support the organizations that are fighting human trafficking. We need to support our law enforcement officers who are fighting human trafficking. We need to support the commercial industry as they embark on fighting human trafficking. And we need to fight human trafficking under our own roofs. Absolutely. And we have to decide, like you said, what we're going to hold them accountable for. The microaggressions, the history of misogyny on women, the history of denigration and oppression of people of color and women of color and indigenous peoples. It all goes back to your point of raising our children, whether you're a father or a mother, to have empathy and to be empathetic toward everybody, our gay population, our transgender population, because everybody's vulnerable at some point. Without love and without feeling loved, everybody's vulnerable to predators. So to your point of paying attention to our kids and raising empathetic children, is really something that we can do as well as holding our politicians accountable. Because I think that's another point just to reiterate that there are lawyers, there are airline pilots, you know, just because somebody has a badge or wears a uniform or has a hat on doesn't make them someone to deify. It doesn't make them better than everybody else. Absolutely. Wolves can hide in plain sight for sure, just like anybody else. Don't judge a book by its cover. And they usually do. And that's really where from our focus on the fight against human trafficking, right? I mean, so you look at my background is all counter narcotics and counterterrorism at the highest levels of the government. So we didn't focus on the problems we couldn't solve, right? Demand issues. We focused on going after the terrorist, right? We didn't focus on the terrorists blowing themselves up. We started doing that in the beginning, but we realized that a lot of those were actually mentally ill people who were being exploited by imams and different religious sects within the Muslim community. So we started focusing on the supply chain. We started focusing on the logistics, making sure that the bomb could never get created. The bomb maker was no longer able to make bombs. Those were the ways that we started focusing on deconstructing the market. So when we look at the human trafficking issue, I mean, that's kind of why we've been so successful at Deliver Fund. You know, we've got a 100% conviction rate on the cases we've been involved in that have gone to court. We're talking hundreds at this point. Most of them go to a plea deal because you can't really fight the electronic data. It's binary. Either you did or you did not. It's kind of statements of fact. So we took that counterterrorism methodology and made it available for free to law enforcement and then started building all the technical tools. So there were folks that, like I know you interviewed Juliet Thorne, you know, they're doing incredible work on the CSAM issue. But really when it comes to human trafficking, all the technical tools were focused on finding victims. So we had to start from scratch and build technical tools to find the perpetrator, to find the trafficker, because that is the person who is actually committing the crime. The victim is not committing the crime. The trafficker is. And so that's what we're focused on. And that's what we're currently trying to scale out across the entire country and then even across the world. So if you look at what's going on in Ukraine right now, women and children are allowed to leave. The Ukrainian martial law says that men of fighting age, which I believe that's anybody under 70 or I believe older than 16, has to stay in the country. So you've got a bunch of vulnerable women and children in that part of the world that men are predominantly the breadwinners for their family who are as refugees 
going into Poland, Moldova, and the neighboring areas, and this is why we have an office in Warsaw, and they are then being picked up by that old couple who just appears very trustworthy and they don't speak the language and they don't have any money and they don't have any food and they don't really know what to do next. And so they get in the van and the next thing you know, they're drugged and they end up in Berlin. Those are real cases. And we've seen our digital intelligence team actually just put up an Instagram post. You can find us at Deliver Fund on Instagram. I just saw it this morning and it showed the increases on search terms related to Ukrainian women and refugee what is essentially violent pornography, like refugee camp porn was one of the terms that has seen a massive spike. That is so evil. But the way we counter that is by, again, going directly after those traffickers to make sure there's nothing to find when these sickos are on the internet searching for those kinds of terms. It's a very sad state of affairs on the human trafficking issue and where we are as a society. But there's a lot of hope We understand very well how we got here. Again, 846% increase in suspected child trafficking cases in a five-year period because of the rapid adoption of smartphone technology. So we understand how we got here. The inverse is also true. We understand how to fight it, and we actually can make it so that this is not an issue that our children really have to talk about. How many women on your team, Nick, at Deliver Fund? I think our entire staff is about 60% women. Amazing. So we're actually predominantly women. Our board of directors is half women. And I'll tell you, women make really good analysts. Because if I go to ask your husband, Ellen, and I say, hey, what was Ellen wearing when you first met? Where did you go? He couldn't tell you. But you could probably say exactly what he was wearing, what he smelled like, what you both had, if you had dinner, right? What you both had, if you saw a movie, what movies? I mean, you probably remember all of that to a T. Women's minds are very naturally built to network, to keep all the little details and what is connected to what. I mean, half the time when, you know, we go see some of our friends, I have to have my wife remind me, now granted, I got some traumatic brain injury from the war, but, but I have to have my wife remind me like what the husband's name is. So we have a lot of women who work for our team who are very, very good at hunting human traffickers because their brains are wired for it. This sounds like a great career path for some people. I meet so many young women who want to talk to me about their careers, about their potential careers, about what they may want to do, what they may not want to do. Obviously, a lot of them want to go into medicine. This is a fantastic area. I feel like the crime shows are so big with the young women and the young people. Well, one, women are overrepresented as victims of crime. Lots of reasons for that. But when we watch a movie like Zero Dark Thirty... We always tend to look at, you know, people like me, right? The shooters, right? The professional tough guys within the military and the intelligence community. Okay, well, SEAL Team 6 might have went in to go kill bin Laden, but who spent 10 years helping to figure out what door they should go kick in? Well, it was a group of women. They called the sisters at the CIA in what was called Alex Station, which was an office in CIA headquarters where you had a group of women who for 10 years relentlessly hunted down one of the biggest enemies of humanity. That wasn't a bunch of men doing that. It was a bunch of women doing that. So absolutely any women or girls listening who think, well, I could never join the CIA. I could never join the NSA. Oh no, trust me. There are very, very brave, insanely bright women who are keeping our country safe as we speak. We're super grateful to them and we're super grateful to you, Nick. And I'm really happy that you made the time for me today. I think this was really informative and eye-opening for a lot of people. Deliverfund.org. 
deliverfund.org. You're a good guy, Nick. I'm grateful that I got the pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Ellen. The pleasure was mine. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.